tied for the most terrifying day of my life. I was what? Every other freaking day of my life. <laughs> How are you doing, you wonderful nerds? Scott here, and it is day 10 of the month of Monsters Scooby-Doo podcast, where I am watching Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed every single day for a month, and I, so far, it's hell, but you know what? The best part is getting to talk about it with cool guests, and today, we have Joel from Caped Joel on the YouTubes. How's it going? It's going good, man. Thank you for having me. When I heard you were undertaking this masochistic cause of watching this (laughs) Scooby-Doo movie every day in the month of October, I just patiently waited by my inbox, and I'm like, oh, I hope he writes me, oh, I hope he asks me, and you did. So, I noticed that. So, I was planning out guests, and I asked a bunch of my friends, and way more of them said yes than I thought so then I had to slow down with scheduling so that I wouldn't like accidentally because there was a day I, I tried to record a bunch in advance and there's like there was there was like a whole section of time where I just was back to back podcast recording and I was like oh I gotta slow down on the getting the guests in here so but now we're on to week two and we get a brand new slate of people which is a lot of fun so my first question usually is have you seen this movie before? Yes. Okay. I, ha- I had a very interesting thing with it. Uh, I think I caught the tail end of half of it on TV many years ago, probably back in like 2004 when it first came out. I made a point to rewatch it before I did this, and it's the first time I watched it like from beginning to end. <laughs> so you'd never seen the beginning of it before? No, no. I only saw like the halfway part. Fantastic. Did it change your experience at all to know the setup in any capacity? To, to know the setup? Yeah, I would say it did. I know this one, you know, usually people think like, uh, what is it, that first Scooby-Doo movie? Yeah, that was all right. The second one wasn't as good. I will admit, I was surprised that it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought or remembered it being. There was actually like some stuff going on here that I didn't see or didn't consider. Yeah, like what? Go into it. I'm curious. I mean, again, obviously, I'm sure as you mentioned before, this is written by uh, former Guardians of the Galaxy scribe there, James Gunn. That's so right. he's he's playing with some ideas here. You know, they're trying to do some stuff. I, I what I personally stuck out to me on this viewing is you know how each member of Mystery Inc is really trying to challenge their own stereotypes. They did that a little in the first one. Obviously, uh, mm-hmm. Daphne had a whole big arc there of her being tired of being a uh, damsel in distress and trying to learn martial arts. That kind of gets played up here and really kind of more for everybody too Mm -hmm. yeah totally i feel like uh, yeah definitely velma kind of had a bigger role uh like daphne in the first movie for sure had that whole arc this movie they wanted to focus a little bit more on velma and it's like well velma's always like the smart one the nerdy Mm. one but could she like i feel like the arc is but could she be hot and it's like I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that specific arc, but the For end real. goal is, you know, or the the end message is I will she she delivers this really awkward clunky line at the end where she wants to go on a date with Patrick again mm. and she, and she says the line something like this time I will go as myself and it's uh-huh. just delivered like a robot and it's, it really is it's like it's like sweet but at the same time it's like oh okay that's a little awkward I also thought it was interesting too and again this played out more in the first one but we kind of see the residual effects of it here the idea of mystery Inc 
as these big celebrities in their town that they live in a freaking mansion with a crime lab and everything yeah. else. So somehow their job has been paying, despite the fact I don't think they ever picked up any money on any past job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that set, by the way, is enormous. Yes, There's, it is. You look, there are some shots where you can see like further back in the distance and there's like hallways filled with stuff and mm-hmm. they never even like go down there to, to film anything in those sections. So it's, I'm like, whoever was in charge of set design was like, I'm going to do as much as I possibly can. They in really, the background. <laughs> they, they really yeah. outdid themselves in that scene. And then later in the villain bar scene, which man, I wish I could hang out in that bar. It's just a weird combination of hipsters, longshoremen and guys who look like they could be, roadies for alice cooper (laughs) uh you're not wrong i want to know because they even have like the the little um uh uh, whack-a-mole sort of thing Mm. with with the mystery ink gang but like that wasn't just something because it would be one thing if they just took a a -a whack-a-mole sort of game and like just crudely put mm. their pictures on it like they did with the darts or whatever but that but was somebody, a branded thing that was a custom made one so oh, either yeah. so headcanon now either that was an officially licensed one from mystery inc themselves and that's part of how they make money or the vi- some villain in that bar created one specifically for them to hit them yeah I, I like this headcanon very much. Either that or, you know, they were picking up a bunch of money from their Burger King sponsorship. Yes. Well, that... Okay, so I, I, I've, I still need to get to the bottom of this sponsorship thing because, like, it, it's, like, partly Burger King, but then they changed it to KFC, and, like, it's... Uh, I don't know. Movie sponsorships are weird. It's so, it's so bizarre, because, like, I, I've talked about this before, but, like, the opening scene where like shaggy and scooby get out of the the stretch uh, mystery, mystery machine, machine van which is um, a nice visual gag super super fun um but when they get out of there uh and like scooby is like drinking the little milkshake uh it, it's branded kfc but you can see that in post they had to change it to be kfc because when it's mm. thrown at the chauffeur guy uh, it's and you like go frame by frame. It's it turns into a Burger King cup. So like something happened with the Burger King sponsorship. Something fell through. Yeah. Which already, if you have the Burger King sponsorship, that means ah, McDonald's wasn't biting, huh? Nope. <laughs> Not to say that I don't love a Whopper from time to time. I'm just saying. Come on, we all know who's the first uh, door we knock on. Yeah. Yeah. That's I I need to if anyone has any information about this, please contact me because I I, need to know what happened here. I want to say and this might be like a Bernstein bear situation right here. But I want to say back in 2004, I saw like an ad campaign for Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed at Burger King. I could be wrong. This feels like something to YouTube. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be that would like shatter the whole mystery wide open i feel we would answer it we wouldn't even have to set up any elaborate traps exactly i want to say that's a thing i could be wrong it could be the first movie even for all i know oh yeah well i don't because i rewatched the first movie recently as well and i don't remember that much product no it wasn't nearly as flagrant if there was any yeah but this the second movie also had significantly smaller of a budget so they were probably just like tell yeah Boy, can you tell. But yeah, yeah, I mean, as a Scooby-Doo fan, and I guess it's important to, you know, talk about my own relationship with the series. And it's a very, very long series. uh, 
I always loved it and grew up watching it because it's something my dad liked, because obviously he was a child of the 60s and he grew up with the original run of Scooby-Doo and everything. And I think in a lot of ways, I think Scooby-Doo contributed, and I know you and I have talked about this, Scott, to me being a skeptic in many ways and why I don't believe in the paranormal and I don't believe in fortune telling and I don't believe in all of this other stuff because I'm like, nah, man, everything has a rational scientific explanation. It's probably just a rich real estate developer in a mask. (laughs) (laughs) As it is, yeah, of course. Even that translates to real life as well, for Mm. sure. But yeah, totally. I think for me, Scooby-Doo, a big part of it was, you know... Every episode, there'd still be Shaggy and and Scooby who would believe that it's a real ghost. Yeah. You know, so there's always that. It's it's almost like you have to have those characters in to like draw in the crowd who like, yeah, I'm with them. It it is real. And then by the end of it, Velma and and Fred and Daphne are like, no, yeah, it's just a guy in a mask. Everything can be explained. And and I do like that too. That's also a part of this movie as well. Shaggy and Scooby not wanting to be the quote unquote dumb ones of the team. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun arc for sure. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the first movie the the biggest arc was probably uh Daphne and mm. a little bit of Shaggy and Scooby because they had to like you know Shaggy had his whole thing with with Mary Jane and Scooby yeah. was jealous and all that stuff but they really changed it around and they're you know no more group infighting between Shaggy and Scooby they're just good old pals who just want to yeah. do good by the team like from the nice. show yeah exactly and i mean you know just like so many shout outs in this one that you almost didn't get in the first one and not just because they reuse a bunch of actual ghosts and monsters from the classic series like minor 49er and the black knight yeah and and like man to think that that was like continuity shout outs and like references at a time when you didn't get that in 2004 yeah, that's like straight up, you know, for the fans, the you know, source material. Yeah, I love it, it. it. The movie also comes from a really interesting time when they were doing adaptations like that, where they almost overthought it more than they do so today when it comes to doing an adaptation. I'm always reminded of the Josie and the Pussycats movie they did, too, where it's like, wow, you guys really overthought this one. Oh, man. I remember watching that movie. I haven't watched it probably since it came out but i remember watching it and i yeah that was that was something else that movie was you know the band actually kicked themselves that did the music for that movie because it got really popular and people liked it and they're like god damn it why didn't we release that ourselves oh. <laughs> yeah missed opportunity there but Boy, man even even I've commented on this before, but like the music in in this movie too is just kind of all over the place in yeah, terms of like, yeah, in terms of like you know, there's I don't know, there's, there's a part disco, of me disco, there's soul, yeah. there's Ruben stuttered in a of big cameo. There is <laughs> that's what dates this movie harder than anything else. Hey, it's the guy who won the second season of American Idol. Everyone remember when that show was more of a cultural force. <laughs> What's that one? Is that one like The Voice? Is that a, like a voice uh, copy? Yeah, shut up, Grandpa. <laughs> no, but yeah, the, I, there's a part of me that, you know, I, I don't mind a good, uh, y- you know, 
putting an already existing song in a, in a movie. That, that's mm. that's all good. But when like it's such a huge part of the soundtrack, like yeah. that it's just constantly. I don't know. I, I like it's, it's very eclectic and it's very James Gunn. In fact, the bit yes. where uh, Fred is facing down the Black Knight and they start playing Bon Jovi's <laughs> "Wanted, Dead or Alive." The the build up to it, I'm like, hey, this feels very reminiscent of Star Lord and Break the Chain when he goes to fight his father. Yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. Some of the some of the music. Tra- I don't know. They they're starting to take me out of it as as I keep watching it. I'm just like, oh, this song again. Okay, <laughs> but maybe that's just a, a side effect of me watching it constantly. But probably. I don't know. The, my favorite parts of the music are when it actually does like little takes on the um the classic theme song mm. where it's just like the and they and they incorporate that into like the overall score of the scene it's just it's it's very clever and i wish they did more of that yeah they put mm-hmm. actual work in there and heck yeah. even the mansion set that they have i mean like that's just straight up an episode of the show yeah it's i that set i love it it's so beautiful it's so brightly colored and like mm-hmm. very stylized for uh for scooby-doo uh it's so good. Uh, another aspect I wanted to touch on, and I think this was the thing that got me the most interested. Obviously, this movie and the first one as well uh, are kind of rarities in the Scooby-Doo formula, although perhaps not as rare some, uh, as anymore because they kind of updated it. It's the gang fighting real, actual, honest-to-God monsters. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Which is a subgenre of Scooby-Doo as a whole. When when was the first time they uh, fought real monsters? That was like in like the red shirt shaggy era, like yeah. Reluctant Werewolf and Boo Brothers and everything. Is that like 13 Ghosts of, of Scooby-Doo? 13 or Ghosts of Scooby-Doo as well, yeah. which is another series I am quite partial to because I like Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, so I don't know. There's there are I was I was talking about this on it might have been the the previous episode, but like um yeah, that's something that I've always found fascinating about Scooby-Doo is that you really don't know what you're getting yourself into when mm. when the story first starts cuz it could there's precedent for, you know, it's just people in masks. And then there's also tons of precedent for nope, the monsters are real. Yeah. So like every every new story, you're kind of existing in this space of like in between genres of like which one is it? Which one mm. is it? I don't know. And that kind of I don't know, it makes it kind of uh kind of uh more interesting a little mm. bit to me most definitely i uh, i am quite partial to i think i mentioned this before uh scooby-doo on zombie island mainly due to a lot of nostalgia because cartoon network played it endlessly and even on halloween yeah yeah that was one where I, i've been on record on the internet so i'm not i won't hide it but yeah. that was one where i've i love the animation it's so beautiful mm-hmm. however it was it was one of the first instances I saw of Scooby-Doo fighting real monsters. Yeah, and for I, a lot of people. And I hated it. It was sacrilege it, for a lot of people. It was, like, antithetical to, like, the whole idea of Scooby-Doo in my head. Later on, I would realize that, oh, no, they've done this before. They've done this a lot before. But uh, it was, al- yeah. Also, you can see a lot of the same DNA in Zombie Island that you can see in the first live-action Scooby-Doo movie. And a little bit in Monsters Unleashed. Again, trying to deal with this idea of the Scooby gang as celebrities. Celebrities and in Zombie Island, they were celebrities past their prime, trying to make like one last go at being relevant again. Yeah, it, boy, 
it really it really feels like the the first or like the two live action Scooby Doo movies are like they have so many similar elements that they almost feel like just here's draft one of a Scooby yeah. movie here's draft two and like yeah I don't know it's very very much so what's did anything else catch your mind or catch your eye in this movie uh i thought it was really nice to again you know talk about things that date the film uh seeing Mm. seth green in a hollywood movie that you know he took for working and not like what he does now where he just takes the projects that he wants and works on robot chicken and things that fulfill him personally yeah I, I respect Seth Green for doing that, where he's like, you know what, I'm not what Hollywood is looking for right now, but I'm going to parlay my success into things I want to do. That's the way to do it, for sure. Yeah, he was great in this movie. I yeah, loved his character. He, I don't know, for for as little um, screen time as his character had, he kind of like hit a ton of different emotional states throughout it and he just i I felt like he nailed it every time his character was like in this world of over-the-top unbelievability i felt like with a few exceptions his character was one of the most believable the one exception is when he's like shouting at shaggy and scooby in the alleyway and i'm just like okay that's a little yeah he he, he knew what he was doing and i appreciate that yeah (laughs) for sure I guess what other stuff to talk. Yeah, I mean, back on the whole monsters is real thing mm-hmm. uh, versus the whole, you know, one of the things I've always really enjoyed about Scooby-Doo, and again, as we mentioned before, I always, uh, the, the thing that was so great about them busting guys in masks is that for, to me, it always represented the ultimate victory of science, logic, and reason over superstition. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I feel like that's... I don't know. To me, that's kind of what made this movie better than the first one, in my Mm. opinion. Because, like, even though the monsters are real, they were created through science. Yes. You know? Whereas in the first movie, it was created through, like, some sort of ancient ritual sort of thing. It was all magic all the time. But, yeah, they make a very solid point of saying Jacobo in this movie used a combination of science and magic. Yeah, yeah. He was very mad scientist kind of, uh, yeah... And like even the monster, like the machine, it, like yeah, the fact that it's created through a machine, you know, mm. and like yeah, we gotta and get the, the control disc. Yeah, the the control frisbee. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah, that that's just a small little nuanced difference between the the two that made me I think appreciate the second movie a little bit more. In my opinion, I know that I, the more I talk to people, I, it it seems pretty split on who likes the first or second one more, but Mm. it's just, there's a lot of little differences for me that make the second one shine just a little bit more. You know, it's funny, uh, revisiting the first one too, I watched like the first 15 minutes before we hopped on here. It's funny, that first Scooby-Doo movie has such this like turn of the century 2k optimism to it where it's like oh we're post columbine and we're pre 9 11 and everything yeah it's a very interesting little time capsule monsters unleashed 2 is an interesting little time capsule too of you know where mass <laughs> entertainment was too oh for sure i mean yeah the the first movie feels I don't know. The first movie feels way more of its time than the second one does to me. And, but yeah. I think that, but I think that's just because there are way more references and like, I don't know. It just feels like it's of the time that it was made. Whereas I don't, maybe I'm just biased, but I feel like the second one had, I don't know. It just kind of stands in its own little, like the, the, the re, like, the fact that they place it in this fictional place called yeah. Coolsville, where it's like this mix of like 60s, 70s kind of uh, culture or like, uh, I don't know, like fashion. Aesthetic, but like, yeah. Yeah, but also the technology is very futuristic. It kind of makes it into like this weird, very cartoony, but also kind of timeless 
era. Whereas the first movie, it's very much, um, you know, they're, they're put, being put on spooky Island and yeah, uh, yeah. you can just see all the different people and all the different, I don't know. It just feels like that. It was that era. I, I, I do like the design choices on this one. They definitely tried to make a world. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I mean, it just felt, and like, I don't know, some other people have pointed out that like, it's really just the gang that dresses, it, or like, yeah. you know, in, in like that kind of 60s, 70s kind of vibe and everyone else just dresses of the time. Like, yeah, I feel like I will say the most, the character that looks the most like 2004 or earlier uh, is probably Ned and Ned doesn't get that much screen time, but he's got like the little highlights in his hair and he's got like Mm. the jacket. That's very, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You you know, he's blasting sugar Ray from his uh, (laughs) tape decks. (laughs) That's true. Well, it would be appropriate because Sugar Ray made an appearance in the first movie. Boy, so. boy did they. Again, you know, want a, want a nice time capsule of where the world was. <laughs> oh. And back in those days, people listened to the Sugar Ray. I, I wonder, I don't know if you've talked about this on the show, but if they were to kind of like do another live action Scooby-Doo movie, because, I mean, everything's getting rebooted and reimagined anyway. I, I had an interesting pitch, and I wanted to hear your take on this. Yes, Because please. we live in a day and age... Where superstition, I think, is not only more prevalent than ever, but more accepted now than ever. I mean, there's a million fucking ghost shows and medium shows and everything else out there. I Mm -hmm. had a pitch where let's have a Scooby-Doo style thing where the gang solves a mystery, tries to explain how it's not a ghost, but people straight up don't believe them, going, nope, nope, it's a ghost, I have faith in the ghost, you're fake news, definitely a ghost. <laughs> I I think that's wonderful, and I think that's that would be like a fun kind of follow-up to this movie, because I briefly touched uh, on this idea in a previous episode, but like, this movie, I don't think would be able to get or i mean it would be able to get made today but i don't think they would want to make it today because the overall story is that the the reporter is the bad person yes they're literally news re- is bad and evil yeah, and can't be trusted. the media is bad they can't be trusted they're literally reporting fake news like that's that's not a message that i feel like people would want to to put that, out there into the world th- that blew my freaking mind and and i do feel like yeah having the reverse of that if they were to make it today where it is the gang trying to be like no but seriously this is it and like it's just a person and they're like mm, but how do you explain this and well, we have yeah. proof we're literally showing you proof mm, i make up my own proof alternative facts yeah and there'd be like youtube shouty men who are just like yeah well the, what the mystery ink gang don't want you to know is exactly <laughs> again see look i think that would be very very topical if we if we were to write this i think that would be a great direction to run with it i would love it so much that would be a ton of fun i think because I, I think you're right the, like the supernatural paranormal stuff is super it's even more prevalent even in scooby-doo like i don't know did you watch uh mystery inc Uh, yes i watched a little of it that that show started out as a very much a um a typical scooby-doo like just unmasking people sort of a stuff but by the end of it it evolved into this like grand lovecraftian sort of like paranormal thing uh and it was very much like you know velma had to part of her whole story arc was i have to learn to deal with you know things that are irrational and illogical Mm. and things that don't you know so it's it's even it's you know it's permeating even into scooby-doo itself that like yeah maybe paranormal stuff is uh real 
you know? Yeah. So uh, Apparently the next, I was looking at this too, because obviously they always have different Scooby-Doo series in different uh, stages of development. Apparently the next one coming out in 2019 is going back to the celebrity uh, yeah. formula, where it's like, you know, Scooby-Doo meets the Globetrotter, Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Robin. Yeah, I'm like, I feel like that's just a, that's another kind of genre, quote unquote, of of Scooby Doo, a subgenre, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yeah, the celebrity cameo, the celebrity stories. Yeah, that's apparently stuff. one of the celebrities they're going to be meeting is Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Which, as we're saying, Scooby, I imagine deGrasse Tyson would be the guy who's like, "Oh, I'm a big fan of you, Mystery Inc." Because you know you teach logic and reason to kids. But he would like go on this whole spiel about like, "Now let's talk about Zombie Island." Now I have a couple <laughs> theories. <laughs> exactly. See, again, this stuff writes itself. Yes. Oh, I mean, heck, I feel like yeah, because the first movie even had like a celebrity cameo right at the start. Yeah. Where, you know, it was like uh, Pamela Anderson was there, and yep. like. I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like if we were to do another Scooby-Doo movie, people would just want the cameos, you know? Like, so mm-hmm. who, so other than Neil deGrasse Tyson, who do you think would be a fun cameo to get into modern uh, Scooby-Doo? I mean, uh, it's everyone who's popular, so I'm sure they would have to get Kanye West in there. They'd have to get some of the Uh-oh. Kardashians Uh-oh. in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'd get that. But you I'm never, sure they try. Yeah, they would. They'd be like, "What are the?" Ca-? Yeah, I feel like the celebrity cameos would be totally dictated by like the studio and not like the writers. Mm. Would be like, "Oh, this, you know, this person would make for an interesting, you know, cameo mm. in Scooby Doo." And they'd be like, mm, "I don't know well, about well, that." I actually have the list in front of me of potential guest stars. Uh, they're doing Batman again, but it's Kevin Conroy as Batman. I dig it. I like it. I like that a lot too. Ricky Gervais as himself. Yeah, okay, I can see. All that. right, fair enough. Uh, what is it? Bill Nye. So they're actually getting DeGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye. Oh, well, well then to balance it out, I'm sure they're gonna have like Long Island Medium or something. <laughs> oh <there>. Jesus Christ! <laughs> okay, that I want to see, and I want the gang to be like, oh, Long Island Medium is actually full of shit and just using cold reading. We I, knew it. <laughs> that's like Velma's whole thing is like she, the whole episode. She's cross armed and just like rolling her eyes at. I'm everything. not okay with this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very not okay with this. Now here's a crazy one. They're also getting Jaleel White, but as Urkel? What? Yeah, that's that's, that's from the one coming out in 2019. That's topical? I, no, it's not. What, what is happening? I, I I mean, I guess that's them kind of doing a throwback themselves, being like, yeah, Urkel would have been a would have been a guest back in the uh, day if they did these. If they did, yeah, I I could see that. This uh, this one, too, also has the new updated voice cast for Scooby-Doo, where Matthew Lillard, who was in this movie, has now taken up the mantle as Shaggy Rogers fully, completely from Casey Kasem. That's right. And I love him. And I want him on this podcast, everybody. Please. God, do it. Yeah, I like Lillard, too. I'm glad to know that if I think maybe the best legacy of the Scooby-Doo movies is that he eventually just became the voice of Shaggy. Yeah, because I-, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I, I don't know who they would get to replace Kesa. Like they, they could just dip into the bin of super talented voice actors out there. But I think it's very fitting that, that it was passed down to Matthew Lillard. Mm -hmm. And to think it's been Frank Welker all of this time forever. He's the, he's like the only original remaining voice actor. That's incredible. The only one crazy to think. And he also doesn't do interviews and he doesn't do podcasts and he doesn't do any of that. Frank Welker. No, he doesn't do any. Cause like, 
there are even like voice acting podcasts with people who mm. are like f- friends with Welker, and he he's just like, nah, that's not my thing. So if even he he won't even do it for his friends. Like, no. I've I've never. I knew from the start that's like, no, he'd never want to talk to this. I think his thing is he's like, I don't want to destroy the magic of it. If you hear me talking and you know I'm all these characters, it destroys the magic. Yeah, that's true. I also wonder how much of it is because I've gone to like cons where with like voice actors and like voice Mm. acting panels and the thing that maybe it differs from person to person, but I always kind of cringe a little bit when they get to like the Q and a section and people are like, can you do this voice? And it's like, I don't uh, like that either. That's like, you don't ask a musician to be like, Hey, can you play me some blank? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that kind of feels like, I don't know. Maybe he had a bad experience in the past or something that was just like, maybe never again. Yeah. Uh, some other of the voice cast, uh, Gray Griffin, who obviously very popular voice actor. She's Daphne in this one, which I think is pretty solid casting. Has she done it before? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's been doing it for ages. Yeah. Okay, so she's been Daphne for a bit. And Kate Muccio is going to be Velma in this one. Uh, is that Kate Micucci? Uh, yeah, Makuchi Muccio, or however you pronounce Yeah, she's the one from Garfunkel and Oates. Yes, I love her. Yeah, she's Me been too. doing... I think she was Velma in in Mystery Inc. And she kind right. of... She and Mindy Cohn have, like, this uh, flip-flopping... Yeah, yeah. Depending on, like, the made-for-TV movies sort of stuff. It's like, I'll do it this time, you do it the next time sort of She's thing. just been killing it recently. I love her on Steven Universe, and she's yeah. on the new DuckTales and everything. Yeah, I just got into Steven Universe, like, maybe a month or so oh, ago. Oh. And, uh... Yeah, I uh, yeah, because a friend of mine was like, Scott, you would love this show. It's Steven reminds me of all the loser parts of you. And I was like, oh, OK. As a, so, as a Steven yeah. Universe fan myself, all I can say is one of us, one of <laughs> us, Google gobble, one of us. I, man, I love it so far. I know like I know this is supposed to be a Scooby Doo podcast, but you know what? We'll just go off the rails a little bit here. <laughs> you got lots of Scooby Doo content. I left. look, there are many more days left. Scooby Doo is the jumping off point, all right? Yeah. But like yeah, I love uh, dude that that show's so good. It's it it follows the um the kind of I did a video recently on YouTube about X-Men the animated series mm. and there was a quote about uh from the showrunner who talked about how like um how you actually make a show that that hits with all the demographics and like how you you should never make a children's show for children because yeah. if they feel like they're being talked down to they'll they hate it. Like it whereas if you make a show with even some elements that they might not even understand yet they will yearn to understand it and they will mm. want to know what that means and, and you'll also be and you'll also be resonating with an older demographic and that is exactly how i feel about uh, Steven Universe where like yeah it started out as kind of like fun and goofy and whatever and anyone can just jump on board but then it gets like really deep and really serious and like really sad and it only gets deeper and seriouser and more sad where, where oh. are you in the series I think I'm a little bit into season two so oh, I've oh, got a ways oh. I've got a ways to go oh they have such things to show <laughs> you Scott such things you're not ready for the, I think the last episode I saw and I, I'm trying to avoid any spoilers for anybody mm-hmm. but it it involved it involved the song do it for her or ah, do it for that's him. a classic one. and i think that's my favorite episode so far it's, i love oh, it man if, if you love that again they come back to that several times and it's yeah. really great in showing the character of pearl and what makes her tick i love she's my favorite i think like just just because she's so 
I don't know, her whole backstory so far that I know is like so sad. And oh, yeah. so, yeah, I'm a, I'm an amethyst man myself. Oh, only of cause, course. O- only because I've known and dated so many girls like amethyst. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I have. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is my character. This is the one I gravitate towards. That's incredible. Yeah, she she was another one that had like uh, a kind of a, a darker backstory as as soon it was as soon as it was revealed slightly to me. Uh, uh, again, you ain't seen nothing. Oh, yet. I know, I know. I because the friend who got me into it, I've just been keeping him updated with all the episodes that I've seen, and he's just like, "You gotta look out. You just keep, wait for it, man. Wait for it." And he's, uh, I'm excited to see where that show goes. But yeah, I feel like that's I I like that. I like that show because it's it's certainly for it's it's for many many demographics. It's yeah. not like it's not a kids show. It's just yes, like a it show. has a level of emotional maturity that you don't get that often in animated oh, yeah. series. Like yeah, a lot of stuff is like super nuanced too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I don't know. It's a good show. Hey guys, Wait. if you're tired of watching Scooby Doo Two Monsters Unleashed, <laughs> go check out Steven Universe. It's pretty good. But but hey, you know they got some things in comedy. You know, Steven Universe as it started out, you know, was a monster of the week thing. Scooby Doo definitely a monster of the week style oh, series yeah. with good designs. You know, making a making a big difference. I think. Yeah, totally. And like, yeah, even like Mystery Inc. when it for Scooby Doo opened up this huge universe of like the Scooby Doo lore, and like it got deep and serious. And yeah, I would say Sco- I would say Mystery Inc. is very similar to uh to Steven Universe in a lot of ways. I think mm. Steven Universe is probably better in my opinion, but <laughs> I also had issues with uh with some facets of Mystery Inc. Right. Have we uh, have we talked uh, favorite monsters uh from Scooby-Doo like who are our favorite suited monsters? Um I I can't remember if I have on this podcast, but what's yours? I'm curious. I mean, I always come back to Minor 49er, who's in yeah. this, mainly because his name is Minor 49er. It's that's such a just good a, name. So fun to say. Spooky Space Kook is yes. another fun one. That was going to be mine. My, I love the design of, spa- of of Spooky Space Kook because it is, it's very much like this, um, it's... Oh, you know what? I haven't talked about this on the podcast. I don't think I've talked about this on an, on, on an Instagram live stream. So cool. <laughs> now I know it's original content, but there yeah, I love the, the space kook because it's very much like it has a cold war esque kind yeah. of design. And like, it, it's almost kind of doctor who esque, like uh, silence, very. silence in the library sort of a thing. It makes a very creepy noise. It feels like it would be at home in like a Bioshock sequel. Yeah. It's just, it's such a, unique design for that show because i feel like a lot of the designs were just kind of like you know classic cre- like you'd have like a witch and you'd have a like a, or, or, or yeah like a ghost you, you have multiple phantoms and stuff like that but this was like spooky astronaut kind of a thing it's like whoa that's very creative because sometimes they yeah. would get super creative i uh, i have a fondness for the robot too which is a design that keeps coming back oh is that andy the robot yeah, 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 that yeah. one. Which again, he looks a little sentinelish, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, totally. I I wonder I love if that. that incepted in the artist's mind when they were creating the sentinels. <laughs> I always think about that sort of stuff because when you see things that are so clearly like so like they represent something that exists like much later, like how much of that is a coincidence versus like 
oh, they were very, they were just a fan of this cartoon, or they were a fan of this mm-hmm. thing, and yeah, I don't Even know. if they didn't think they were, it gets in them a little bit. Yeah, it soaks into their brain for later use. And uh-huh. like, oh, uh, yeah. Scooby-Doo would also, you know, uh, what is it, explore the idea of doing more... Uh, what is it, more non-Americanized type villains? There was the witch doctor, which you look back at that now, and you're like, mm, <laughs> slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, no thanks, no thanks. S- same with they would dip into, like, Asian culture, too. What was the one there, the ghost of Zen Tiao or something? Oh, God, yeah. The guy with the diamond, and they were all trying to steal diamonds and stuff. Oh. <laughs> Good job. I mean, I- yeah, that that's very much of its, of its era, where they were oh, just yes. like, oh, I don't see anything wrong with this. That's fine. No one's going to come back and re-examine this in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> We're fine. Everything is fine. Oh, yeah. I think... I don't know. I, I, I always loved... Um, there were some really interesting ones with... Especially in What's New Scooby-Doo that were, like, more... Because uh, that took place kind of in, like, a more technologically advanced sort of uh, era. So there yeah. were there was a lot of interesting stuff like the the mystery machine coming to life and and being kind of a ghost in that sense. And like that was kind of it. Or like there was another one where like a mall toy factory kind of came mm. to life and like they were being attacked. It was very much like toy soldiers sort of thing. Um, so like that would be stuff where you're not necessarily unmasking someone, but you're trying to get to the bottom of like of something. You know. Yeah, yeah, and that's that just adds a little different kind of mystery to it and i mean there's like great silhouettes for some of the characters too that were even honored in this movie and like the promotional artwork for the coolsville museum like the creeper was on one of the posters and the ghost of captain cutler whose helmet gets used a bunch oh god captain cutler i love that that's just a creepy one you know like any anything that rises out of like a body of water is like so terrifying you know who else loves the ghost of captain cutler the makers of venture brothers because literally they do a whole like slew of episodes on ghost pirates oh see that's that's a show that a friend was like finish watching steven universe then watch venture brothers man venture brothers much like steven universe is so damn good and has stayed (laughs) so damn good over so many years but the problem is is that it is so layered you literally cannot explain it to a person now and cannot pitch it to a person without ruining huge chunks of it because it's like you just just have to watch you just have to watch it from season one that's exactly the vibe that i got he was like i can't i can't really explain what it is but i know you'll like it and i'm like okay cool venture brothers finished it's the like seventh season this week actually and i literally when i was done watching it i like punched the air with (laughs) joy where i'm like that is such a good finale and like the other thing too about venture brothers it's just two dudes it's taken them 15 years to do seven seasons because it's literally just two dudes oh like for the whole thing that's awesome doing all of the writing and the majority of the voices that's incredible it's their like labor of love and people ask them at cons where it's like well why don't you bring in other people to make it go faster and they're like well we could but then it wouldn't be ours anymore right yeah that's I've heard a similar thing about like uh, it's always sunny where like mm. they they can't it's so hard for them to find anyone who could think of like how to write an episode of theirs and like I think they had like maybe a handful of people who wrote an episode and was like oh you get it but like most of them it's just like no it's it's really just has to be us because we know our characters and we know what they would do and yeah it's true and again if you love Scooby Doo 
you will love Venture Brothers because so much of it is kind of deconstructing that Hanna-Barbera 60s uh, like adventure genre type of show. In fact, they even have Scooby-Doo analog characters show up in Venture Brothers, but the joke is is they're like the Manson family. They're a bunch of hippies who fried their brains on drugs are now just driving cross-country in a van. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a very funny setup, and uh, Shaggy hears the dog, but he only hears him because he's insane. No one else can hear the dog, and it's like a Son of Sam uh, situation, where it's like the dog told me to do it. Oh, uh, I love that. That's amazing. It's very funny. Uh, I gotta check that out. Man, I love, because even, I feel like the first live-action Scooby-Doo was supposed to be kind of like this deconstruction of it Scooby-Doo, was. but I don't think it did very good of a job at that. Well, that I think thing. that's what James Gunn wanted, like he wrote it as like oh here's a more serious movie for adults mm-hmm. where we're going to be like yeah of course Shubi, uh, Scooby and Shaggy smoke weed and yeah. of course you know uh, what is it one of the characters might be gay you don't know but you probably know which one it is and let's <laughs> run with that and then the studio got a hold of it and they're like oh this is pretty funny but you got to make it for kids though no one no one wants an adult deconstruction of Scooby-Doo <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I beg to differ. I would love that. Yeah, for sure. In fact, one of these days I have to... Uh, I'm trying to keep the podcast interesting by introducing different elements and, and like watching or reading different things that I can add to it. And like the one that everyone for years has been telling me to get into, and I haven't quite done it yet, even though I bought them all and I haven't read them, is the uh, Scooby Apocalypse yeah, comics. Yeah, I saw those too. See, m- much like you with Zombie Island rejecting it out of hand because it's like, no, real monsters. That goes yeah. against the spirit of the thing. I yep. rejected Scooby Doo Apocalypse because I'm like, no. This looks like an action book. Scooby-Doo is not action. Yeah. It is slapstick comedy. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know. I had that, I had that very same reaction when I first saw like the announcement years ago. And, uh, but then so many of my friends and so many of, uh, the people on the internet have been telling me like, no, it's really good. Go check it out. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's pretty good. I heard mm. it gets dark and serious and i could i could be i could be in for some of that but i i I will say you know as as we brought up the fact scooby-doo is slapstick comedy there is an art to slapstick comedy and i think that's why we haven't seen you know maybe the truest version done on screen and maybe it's because you know we haven't seen uh, a new updated version of it in a while because you know anyone can write and then scooby and shaggy fall and in doing so end up actually saving the day it's another thing to actually think of like elaborate mousetrap style bits yeah i mean that's what and that's what i got frustrated a little bit with the with monsters unleashed is at least the first movie the the kind of climax was them setting up a trap and it failing and everything mm. going wrong and like people yep. were flying around and like yeah that was kind of fun i actually liked that bit where they're like you know you could feasibly see oh this plan could actually work and then shaggy screws up and then it breaks everything and like everything goes wrong but they still kind of win at the end of the day it even happened at the very beginning of the first movie with the yes. uh, the luna ghost and they were in that factory and yeah. things went wrong and classic scooby-doo classic stuff and i love that bit i think the luna ghost if, I, if i'm being real honest i think the luna ghost bit is my favorite bit in out of both the live action uh, scooby-doo movies like it's it, it's a very strong opening it opened so strong and uh yeah that 
that whole element of Scooby-Doo is completely missing from Monsters Unleashed. There were no traps. There no. was nothing happening. You know, like I, I, I've complained about this before, but the way they catch the villain is the the grating that was like set up two or three times mm-hmm. to be like faulty, and like the villain just falls through the floor. They just yeah, kind of get great. caught on stuff. Yeah, that wasn't intentional, or I don't know. I want yeah, some like, thought put into it. Yeah, you, you need to do a thing. You need to set up an elaborate trap. You need Scooby and Shaggy to fall over themselves and in doing so knock over the guy who didn't see that coming because he too underestimated uh, Shaggy and Scooby. Yeah, and usually the way that they catch them is like, you'd think, oh, we could have just done that then, huh? Like, mm. Fred will be like, all right, so you'll lure him into here, which will activate this thing and a barrel will fall down and hit this little catapult, which will launch that. And then like by the end of the day, they just like, Scooby just runs into him really fast and they just yeah. knocks him out. And it's like, oh, I mean, I guess that could have worked too. <laughs> because again, it's the fear you have to overcome these guys yeah. weren't very strong they were using fear and psychological warfare that's right uh which i do like in this movie how like scooby uh kind of saves the day he goes from being like super fearful that that the rest of the gang is like being held up by the tar monster which is a pretty dark scene of them all slowly being suffocated to death yeah. by tar i couldn't believe how dire that actually was yeah it's it's like genuinely sad and like yeah. and scoo and of course you have a, a dog who's like kind of whimpering and like doesn't know he's scared mm. and he does like a full 180 when he really and i i do like this i i, I don't I, I don't want it to sound like i'm criticizing it i'm genuinely I love this part when he's he he sees all of his friends pretty much dying and something just snaps in his brain where he's like well guess it's time to step up to the plate and then Mm. he just goes to town surfing on the little uh, fire extinguisher and you know it's a I, I I quite enjoy that scene a lot. Uh, again, if I may give this scene way more credit than it probably deserves, that felt that felt like a very superhero comics scene. Something that I think we are both very familiar with. The, yeah, you, 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 you're not a hero when you're doing heroic things. You're a hero when you overcome fear. That's what yeah. makes you heroic. Like that's that's like something Green Lantern would have done. I was gonna say. <laughs> I just did a, a podcast about Green Lantern not too long ago, and I just remember I had to rewatch that movie, and that's that whole thing about like, yeah, you're not a hero because you you're not afraid. You're a hero because you have the power to overcome fear. Scoobert Dew of Earth, you have shown great will. We are inducting you into the Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> I would love that. Oh my God. And like, not to like, I'm sorry, but I want to talk very briefly about just one part of that Green Lantern scene that is still bothering me. Please do. Which is they're, they're having a conversation about like, you know, Hal needs to stop a parallax or whatever. And he's like, Oh yeah. And yeah, there's something about like, yeah, you're a Green Lantern. Cause like you can overcome fear. And he's like, uh, but like, I can't, overcome fear or like i i am afraid or something and she's like of what and he's like i i'm, I'm afraid or something like it's just so i don't know there's something in the lyric or in the lyrics in the in the writing that's like so redundant that whole scene is just like i can't that, overcome fear because i'm movie, afraid it's like, that movie drives me insane i can't stand that movie for scenes just like that that you're mentioning also the fact that hell quits and they don't take his ring away yeah it's i don't know i also i again i did a whole podcast about this over on um the the story geek 
Geeks thing. So check that out. Go support them. But like the yeah, you know, the- you know ranting about that movie online actually started my YouTube career. If I didn't complain a bunch about uh, that Green Lantern movie, I probably wouldn't have the job I have now, and I wouldn't really? be talking to you today. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, I guess some good came out of it. Boy, did it ever! Thanks, <laughs> Green Lantern movie. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, well, that's awesome. I feel like that's a good way to end it then, unless you have some other stuff you want to say about this movie. No, no, I think we pretty much nailed it all right th- there. We went all, this was like the most all over the place podcast, but I appreciate it because I don't know how much more I can say about Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed and we're only gotta, on day 10. Gotta keep it interesting. That's what <laughs> yeah. I'm here for. We went all over, we talked about Steven Universe, Adventure Brothers, and Green Lantern. It's- Good stuff, but they're, they're all pretty connected. I mean, in the in the grand lineage of animation, were it not for Scooby Doo, we wouldn't have had those other shows. <laughs> we wouldn't have had Green Lantern if it wasn't for Scooby Doo. Well, I don't no. want to go that far. But... I mean, hey, Shaggy has a green shirt. He overcomes fear. There you That's go. That's right. Put that into your head, Canon. Shaggy is a Green Lantern. He is, right. and he always will be. <laughs> oh man. Okay. We'll we'll end it, but like, boy, do I want to figure out how each of them with their primary colors fits into the different lantern cores in some capacity. Oh, I like that a lot because they are very primal colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll 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 soak on that, everybody. Think about that. <laughs> Tweet at me. We'll talk about it. But Joel, thank you so much for being here and oh, talking about this movie. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to uh, hear more of you and your voice? Well, I'm kind of all over the place, but you can find me at the Cape Joel YouTube channel. That's C-A-P-E-D hyphen Joel. I was going through a Spider-Man phase. I kind of regret it. Uh, (laughs) Recently just broke 20,000 subscribers. Feeling pretty happy about that. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I got uh, video reviews, podcasts. uh, little original videos. I got all sorts of stuff there. I'm also on the Weekly Pull podcast. I'm also on the Elseworlds Exchange podcast. I am just so many places. Uh, if you're a con goer and if you're in the uh, GTA air, uh, area, October 26th to the 28th, I will be at the London, Ontario Comic Con, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll actually be hosting two panels there, which uh, for the first time ever, so fingers crossed I don't embarrass myself. Oh, that's all. Awesome. What are the panels on? Uh, Canadian Identity in Comics and Comics in a Digital Age. Oh, that's so cool. I have many thoughts about comics in a digital age, but are you going to record them at all for I'm definitely going to try them because again, I want to do good. I want to record them and I want to make that part of a reel to send to other cons to be like, hey, look, I'm a good YouTube guy. Yeah, do your thing. Oh, I love it. I'm excited. Well, thanks again so much. And uh, hey, if you guys want to know where to find me on the Internet, yeah, just type in Scott Nicewander on Google or something. I'll probably show up. Uh, Scott Nicewander on Twitter and Instagram. Those are the two places. But, um, oh yeah, and also thanks you to everyone who's listening. We keep we keep crossing awesome milestones that I keep forgetting to write down. But we have way more listeners, thousands of listeners, which I'm excited about. So thank you so much mm-hmm. for joining me on this weird journey, and uh, thanks to everyone who's writing great reviews. I keep teasing that I will read off the reviews at some point on this podcast. Uh, I might do that if I run out of like there's a there's a spot in the middle of this week where I don't have anyone scheduled to record. So if I can't find anyone, it might just be a solo episode where I read off reviews. So if you want in on that, write a fun review. I don't make it funny and interesting. I don't know. Talk about Scooby-Doo in relation to the green lanterns or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, But yeah, thanks so much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow for another episode. Joel, would you like to join me in saying our best Scooby-Dooby-Doo as we end the show? Oh, I'd love nothing more. 
Here we go. Scooby-Dooby-Doo!